something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeart Radio. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Movie Crush Friday Interview Edition Filmmaker Series with my old friend, Adam Pranica. Oh, that's nice. Who has a nice soap opera glow on his face. You know, not enough people sing my name. I've been really oh. missing that. Sing my name, sing my name. <laughs> Isn't that how that goes? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, hey, buddy. Good to see you. Just great to see you. It's been a while since we've done one of these. It has been a while. Uh, I think we both kind of secretly been sad about completing this project for now. Uh, as we all know, Paul Thomas Anderson has a film coming out this year, premiering at Cannes, I believe, right? Yeah, I think so. And kind of getting back to his, uh, I don't know about his roots, but sort of a story less like there will be blood and phantom limb and more like boogie nights. It sounds like. Yeah. Maybe he watched, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood and he was like, uh, fuck you. I can do it better. Yeah. And of course it won't be like boogie nights, but it's, it's not a movie with probably people that are are loathsome and awful. (laughs) I didn't realize this until I started doing a little bit of research for this film, but this is like what, four period pieces in a row for Paul Thomas Anderson. And I hadn't realized that until reading that. And I'm I'm kind of happy for him to go back to the Valley, at least. I know his next movie is going to be a period movie too, but like he's such a, like California and Paul Thomas Anderson are like uh, hand in glove, you know? <clears throat> yeah. So before we get going, we like to talk about what we're drinking because that's what you and I do traditionally is. Yeah, we go at about nine p.m. my time, six p.m. your time, and you're drinking a big old fishbowl or something. Is that a martini? 
It is. I was trying. I try to match my drink to the movie when it's possible. Well, fuck, dude. Why didn't you tell me you were having a martini? I would have had a martini. Well, the last time you and I talked martinis, you sprung it on me that that you were having one, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds really nice." And then you took a picture from your bathtub where you were drinking it. <laughs> <clears throat> that is very true. Uh, I had a bathtub martini, like Arthur style. Yeah. I, I, like I think that's the first time I'd, and only time I've ever done that. By the way, because when you send someone a picture like that, what you're kind of saying is, "I'm doing the ritual." Right. <laughs> but it wasn't I've, a ritual. I've only ever had shower beers. I've never had bathtub martinis. I feel like you're doing it better. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, tonight I'm having a uh, a double martini in a giant <sighs> punch bowl of a martini glass. And it's got, it. it's not clear because I'm using aged vermouth in here. Okay. And give me just the rundown of what, what is in that thing. Oh, it's St. Uh, it's George Gin. Okay. It's this aged vermouth. It's a couple of... Uh, Couple skeets of uh, of orange bitters, and then three okay. olives. All right, and you don't go dirty, right? You're just uh, straight up. I don't, but I used to. I feel like everyone's first martini is the dirty martini, right? Like that's that's is the it? onboarding process for people when they start drinking martinis. I know it was mine, and know. most of my friends started out that way. But I am anti dirty now. I am like, give it to me hot. Uh, like 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 that cold fire, right? Like an ice cold martini is uh, is one of the great flavors. I don't need I don't need the olive juice in there. Get it out of there. Are you saying that I'm you know somehow a lesser martini drinker? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying I'm <laughs> stating my personal preference, no, and I'm it. and I'm sharing with you my journey. I know, you but know? when you say things like I feel like. Most jerk offs when they first try a martini, it's like this. You know, and you I get don't a lot of people anymore. drinking martinis not in a bathtub, and it just sucks, <laughs> man. That's just not the way to enjoy them. How do you like yours? Uh, you know, I, I go dirty, but I go, uh, I don't eat olives. I don't care for olives, but I do like that brine. So yeah. I go dirty with a lemon twist and a little vermouth oh, I, as well. Sure. I like that combo. So you have olives in the house, you don't eat the olives. You're just, or do no, you buy friend. the brine? I buy Dirty Sue olive juice. How about that? Bottled and sent right to your door. Big fan of Dirty Sue. Dirty Sue uh, buys all the olives, makes the juice, and then just throws them away, right? Sounds like a real wasteful process, if you ask me. Well, if Dirty Sue was smart, she'd be in bed with an olive oil maker. Oh, yeah. Actually, I don't, I don't even know how they get the olive oil brine. I mean, that's not olive juice, is it? It's a coincidence that that, uh, Dirty Sue is also your stripper name. (laughs) It really is. Um, I wish I had known. No no problem. Not mad. As you can see, I have a giant (laughs) glass of red wine. (laughs) Yeah. This glass is so big, I kind of want to hold it with two hands. I'm used to seeing vessels that size uh, made out of wood by a cooper. I'm having uh, Jacob Franklin Petit Syrah, Napa Valley. Mm. Really yummy. You know, now that I'm living in California, you know, your next trip out here, we mm. got to go up to wine country, man. Enjoy okay. some wine hangs. I'm all about it. In fact, we uh, I should just let you know, because we're going to do a wine trip with uh, our best friends, own a wine shop here in town, right up the street. Mm-hmm. My like, friend from college and his uh, his partner. And they have never been to Napa, 
in Sonoma. So we're going to just do a trip with them at some point. I should just, just let you guys know when that's happening. Please do. That'd be great. You can just drive on up. You and I have had some, some great <clears throat> wine hangs over we the have. years. I'm looking forward to more. Indeed. But I'll stick with the wine. My urge yeah. is to, to flush us down the toilet right now. Go no, make a just, giant martini. Just finish and then drop a pin in the in the time code here. You go up and get your second round. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, this is already two rounds, so I think this will do it. Yeah, I mean, how much of a bottle okay. fits in that giant glass? Uh, well, I didn't want to have to go upstairs, so this is a... a a hefty two glasses in one glass. Type See, of that's just being that's just being smart right there. Yeah, that's doing it podcast style. Yeah. <laughs> Have you done another round on Movie Crush? No, man. I, I haven't seen it yet. I have heard great things, and it is it is not just a cursory on my list. It is high, high on my list. What a delight great. of a film that was. Yeah, man. I can't wait. And of course, they're remaking it with, I think, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. I mean, I've... What are you going to do? I think I've learned not to approach a Leo DiCaprio movie with any sort of consternation. Like, I love he's, Leo he's great. He's, he's gonna awesome. he's gonna do a great job. But that original is a special film. Yeah, like that, I think I said it that way up. because it's just like, of course, amazing foreign film. Mm-hmm. American person goes, oh well, let me do that same movie a couple of years later. Yeah, but I get it. Yeah, can't leave money on the table, Adam. You know who uh, who plays a great drunk? Leo DiCaprio. Not to go back to uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but... Oh, no. That He's... guy does a great act drunk. You know what I'm he saying? He does. He does. And I think we do it well in real life. I know so. Classy <laughs> drunks, you and me. The kind you well, want to be around. Like, uh, no one likes an angry drunk, a thrower, or a yeller. We're just... Uh, we're gigglers. That's what oh, I like. Oh, boy. I remember the very first time I ever uh, legit got drunk in college because I didn't drink in high school. I was, a, I was straight and narrow. But I mm-hmm. uh, I got drunk my freshman year in college, and mm-hmm. these girls took me out, fellow freshmen who knew I didn't drink. They were like, oh, we're going to take you out and get you drunk. Oh. And so these uh, these two girls took me out, and uh, I got drunk on the Sex in the Beach is. Sex in the Beaches. Sex is on the beach. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't even know what's in that still. I just know they were like, this is nice and fruity. A lot of sugar, if, yeah. if I remember correctly. And I just remember being in love with the world, man, for the very yeah. first time that yeah. I drank a lot like that. Uh, and they were just laughing. They were like, you're just loving life, aren't you? You're having fun. I said, oh, yes. Isn't that the goal? <laughs> I feel very fortunate to be wired the way that I am for for consumption like this. I, I fully recognize and appreciate that many people aren't, many people have the problem or the curse. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad I'm not cursed in that way because uh, I do enjoy what it does for me. Yeah. You know what I've never done when I've been drinking? Wanted to start a fight. No. Yeah. Or yeah. Sober, sober for that matter. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> and you know what the main reason is? I don't ever want to get punched in the face in my life. Yeah. That doesn't no sound desire. good. Nor does it sound fun to punch anyone else in the face. It sounds very painful for the hand. Yeah, it sounds a little more enjoyable than getting punched in the face. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's where I stop. Yeah. I, I think we've talked about it before. You and I are going to go pick a fight with somebody together. Oh, right. At some yeah. point. Or were we going to fight each other? There was something. And uh, and the reason is, like, between the two of us, the odds are pretty good that one of us won't be punched in the face. Right. <laughs> 
All right, man. So let's get into it. Uh, we, of course, will cover that uh, whenever the the new PTA gets released. Yeah, we'll see that and do it do it live or not live, but you know, soon after it comes out. Oh yeah, let's rent out a movie theater. Do yeah. it live. I wonder if they're they're going to still do that. God, I don't know. Have you done that yet? The are you talking about uh, during COVID, like where you could rent you a theater out for a hundred bucks or whatever? Uh, I wanted to do that very badly, but no theaters within like hundreds of miles of me made mm. that possible. So they didn't I, play it, play that game. That's right. They were no. I think you could do it in down. Seattle. I was envious of that, but I couldn't yeah. do it down here. Could you? Did you? Uh, we can. I did not. Uh, my daughter went to a birthday party, um, where her friends had rented a theater for like thirteen girls. And Emily went to that. I was not able to go because I was podcasting, but she yeah. said it was a lot of fun. I bet. I have not been back to a movie theater yet. I still uh, haven't either. I'm ready. I just, uh, are they even open in LA yet? Probably not. Uh, they are. Oh, okay. here's, I don't, like, I understand the fun of ripping the Band-Aid off and going back to see, like, Godzilla versus King Kong or something, but I kind of want my first movie back to be, like... Good? Yeah. You said Me it. too. I thought about A Quiet Place 2 this week, uh-huh. and it never aligned with my schedule, and I, I think that will is supposed to be pretty good for what it is, but I'm kind of with you. I want it to be a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. I do too, and uh, I'm, I'm not... I'm not up to speed on uh, on the release calendar either. I feel like Same. things are just coming back online now to where we're starting to get an understanding of when your uh Yeah. I don't know. When when your tentpole movies are coming out. Well, I know you and I I mean if we don't see Top Gun together then there's something wrong. Got to see Top Gun <laughs> together. I'll fly Chuck, LA to see Top Gun with you. I got to tell you, I don't know if if you edit things like this out of the show, so maybe you will and I'm sorry for saying <laughs> I quite coincidentally uh, am am poker buddies with the writer of the new Top Gun movie. Oh, jeez. And it is taking everything in my power not to just nerd out on this guy and ask wow. a million questions. Holy cow. Yeah, I'm not going to edit that out unless yeah. you feel like he would not want the world to know he plays poker. No, I mean, the guy's super cool, and I'm, I'm like... I'm like shaking playing poker like <laughs> right. I, with all the questions I have. <laughs> but what a great cool. movie. What a great uh, opportunity for that, like to make that your first movie back. When is that supposed to be out? Uh, like I don't know. I mean, they've certainly got a backlog of films. They have mm-hmm. that in the Bond movie and the Black Widow movie. They've got everything from last year. Yeah. And then they also started making movies again at some point. So I'm sure there's some other new stuff. I got all these olives in front of me. I feel like I can't eat the olives on our show. Because of uh, misophonia? I'm going to I'm gonna eat an olive. I'm just going to... I'm hoping you're going to vamp here. All right, I will vamp. Uh, let's get into Phantom Thread. This is uh, the, the last movie that he has made because we've been going in order. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is another movie with Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. This is a movie... One of the great foreheads in all of film. <laughs> Um, this is a movie that deviates from the, the father son dynamic into a mother son situation. Yeah. Uh, even though the mother in this film has passed on, she does appear via a vision at one point and she very much just looms large as a whole. Don't you think? It's a very hereditary type scene when she appears, right? 
It it is. It looks like a horror movie for a second. Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. I kept yeah, waiting you're... for something to happen there and nothing did. That was really elegantly done and not played for the jump scare or anything, just played right. for the mood. And it's such a mood film the whole way. It's very consistent like that. It is. I think in another director's hands, you could you could veer into sort of horror movie territory with this movie. Yeah. If you wanted to, you'd have to change it up some, but not a whole lot. It's interesting how much uh, how much genre decision can come down to the edit. Like, I think you could mm-hmm. make this a horror film with no new scenes at all. You think? Just how you cut it. Like, you turn up the Johnny Greenwood a little bit, or sure. maybe you uh, you get some weirder Johnny Greenwood, and yeah. all of a sudden, I think it's right there. Especially with how intense Daniel Day-Lewis is in this film. I mean... I uh, I I watched this with my wife. I don't know if you watched this alone or not, and it was her first time watching it. And she's very much a uh, like a fan of the costume period mm-hmm. type of film. And my expectation was that she would love it, mm-hmm. but she did not. No, and it was because of uh, of Woodcock's character. I just love saying that name. I'm going to say it as often as possible. Well, I mean, Reynolds Woodcock's character is. Why do you name uh, your character Woodcock? I love it. <laughs> Every time I feel like they didn't overdo the dialogue that included that name either, very specifically, because they knew the absurdity of the name. I, I guarantee you, and I agree with that, and I guarantee you that Paul Thomas Anderson very much chuckled to himself when he thought of that name. Yeah, I mean, what I read is that he he sort of pitched the idea to to DDL and laughed and laughed about the name of the character. And that was one of the reasons he got him, uh, he was able to get him involved in the film was like, it's, it's, yeah, it's hard to believe. It's strange credulity that, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson and Daniel Day Lewis would just be phone buddies laughing about Reynolds Uh Woodcock as a name. (laughs) But from what I read, that's how this movie got put together. Oh, that's hysterical. Yeah. I believe it too. That's funny. Yeah. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, 
we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, a daily podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we bring you conversations with the culture makers who inspire us. Like our recent episode with Hollywood royalty Regina and Raina King. We talked about the creative power of women's relationships. I feel like, thank God for women. Like, especially when it comes to Black women, the way we lean on our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our friends. We're just each other's pulse. I mean... It's molecular, you know? Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's a movie very much about power and the push and pull of that power. It's a movie with a great twist, Mm -hmm. kind of a double twist. Uh, and I even have here on my notes, like the beginning music sounds like something out of a horror movie. Yeah. I wonder one of the questions I had for you and, and like just to tie off that comment about, uh, my wife watching this, I wonder how well this film has aged for you because I feel like for a long time, films about the asshole with a misunderstood genius complex mm-hmm. and the enablers they surround themselves with was like sort of a genre of itself. Yeah. And I, seeing this through my wife's eyes, I understood how poorly that has aged. Because oh, I was that one of her beefs? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like like this guy's an asshole and he's right. and he's cruel to people around him and obviously right, right. he is, but I I f- also found him funny. And there is a lot of comedy in this film. That breakfast order for yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> big fun. Big big fun. I love it, man. He's ordering all this food. I, I thought I wrote it down. I love but how I he doesn't order it all at once. It's like Oh, no, order a, order a piece of it and then wait and then another and then wait yeah Welsh Welsh rare bit cream butter it's also sumptuous you know everything is yeah good. Uh, and bacon some scones and uh, and then at the very end he just throws in and some sausages <laughs> the move I love this this technique like I'm I'm not going to call it a seduction technique because I don't think this is something that Reynolds does all the time. Like, I don't feel like this is his move. Yeah. But the, and I felt for a long time, never do bits on tips. This is something that, that I say on the greatest generation show. Like, (laughs) like when you're, 
be as nice as you can <clears throat> to a service yeah. industry person and don't fuck with them. And the Even idea if you think you're funny. Yeah. Yeah. They you're, don't. you're not They're no. They're working for tips. So yeah. the idea of taking away her, her written notes of the order yeah. and, pretty... and, and asking <laughs> if she remembers, I have to say it made me laugh. It was funny. It, it was pretty funny. And it, it was also sort of a power control thing. Yeah. Um, and I don't even think I answered your question a second ago. How's this age for me? I I I know that was sort of a genre, but his movies and this movie is so like its own thing. Mm-hmm. I kind of just have it in its own capsule. I don't even think about it as like bad man in power, yeah, a- abusing the people around him, even though that's what's going on. Um, and I, I, this is only the second time I've seen it. Emily and I saw it together the first time. Really loved it in a theater. And uh, I don't think so. I think we saw it at home. Yeah. And then this time I was, a, it was a solo watch just cause she wasn't here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she, she wanted to watch it again. She was kind of, or not upset, but just disappointed that she didn't get to watch it again. Yeah. Um, and I, and I really like the movie a lot. Like Paul Thomas Anderson is just like, he's, he's, he's doing something different every time out Yeah. that you, that you normally see in a film and he's working in a, on a different level. And I get that a lot of people don't like this stuff. We said this about the master and there will be blood. Uh, and that's, you know, I kind of admire someone just for making the movie he wants to make and not, not necessarily to please an audience. Totally agree. And there are so few filmmakers who have that kind of latitude. Like, yeah, I don't want that to stop. I always want to see what Paul Thomas Anderson wants to do. Yeah. I wonder how this came to him. Any idea? Yeah. Do you know? I mean, what I read is he uh, he either watched a film or read something about Balenciaga as a as a fashion designer, and then he just sort of went down that rabbit hole of like the cult of personality there, and and came to it as kind of a new enthusiast, which is like so interesting that that he chased down a new interest. And made a film about that. Like that right. that feels like power to me. It's I mean, the power that Paul Thomas Anderson has as a filmmaker to just be allowed be permitted and to have a budget and go do his own thing is one thing. But as like a creative person, yeah. There's a there's a there's a separate but equal power that has to do with his interests. And those interests don't necessarily align with his strengths. Like imagine being Paul Thomas Anderson and knowing what your strengths are and going, I just learned about the yeah. fashion industry in this era. <laughs> what if I could that. tell an interesting story here? Yeah. And then he goes and does it. I think that's really admirable. It is. And I also wonder if, you know, of course, Daniel Day-Lewis has supposedly retired after this film. And I believe him. Do um, you? I do. I think he's like a boxer. I think, I think back. you're picking up the phone, aren't you? If you're him, because you know, if the phone is ringing, you're getting someone's best pitch. You want to know what's out there, but he's been getting the best pitch for a while. Yeah. He didn't have to fake retirement. God, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. But I wonder how much he, uh, when he was picking his films, I wonder how much he would choose them based on like, well, I'm going to have to learn to sew now. Like, Because <laughs> he very famously yeah. goes super method and learns how to do these things, whether it's becoming a full-on carpenter or learning how to really sew a dress. So I wonder if he 
like that that's a lot of bad i mean i'm kind of joking but i'm kind of not i mean that's a lot of baggage to come with a film like yeah do i have it in me to learn how to be a probably not a master seamstress or anything or seamster what would you call it oh i like seamster i it's it has to be wrong but <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that's uh, why i like it yeah i'm just curious about that if he uh if he even considers that stuff like i'm gonna have to do this because that's my process That's got to be part of the fun of being an actor, though, too, is trying on the character and living in him for as long as it takes. I mean, you're right about his intensity and his reputation as an intense person requires mm. that. I mean, it's it looks believable throughout when you see him. It's, yeah. Uh, I read that uh, Vicky Creeps, mm. is that the, how I pronounce her last name? Do you know? I didn't look it up, but uh, I mean, I believe if she's of... Uh... German heritage, which I think she is, right? All right. I apologize if it's not correct. I'm going to stay consistent. I think it's creeps if it's IE. Like, she met DDL on set, like on the first day of shooting, which has got to be like probably the best way to do it because you don't want to get, you don't want to get to your wagon a week ahead of time and like, you know, the deal with DDL. You got to call him by his his character name and do all that. But like, yeah, but like for for it to just be on day one of the shoot, like that's yeah. I th- how I think you want to work with him, like without having to get used to the weirdness. And you're going to be intimidated either way. So it's not yeah. like one is any better than the other as far as like making you like relax. <laughs> I wonder if DDL had to like, I call him DDL like he's a, like he's Diamond Dallas Page or uh <laughs> I just love that. Yeah. I wonder if he had to like suppress because he is so method, the eating of giant breakfasts like that. Uh-huh. Like I wonder if he always <laughs> had to have cream and sausages and uh, and all well, of that. I, mean, I bet he did. Yeah. Bre- breakfast is a big part of this movie. Yeah. Like not even being funny. There are a lot of scenes. Great breakfast movie. Around that breakfast table. Yeah. And the ritual that he needs, which is to. Have a ve- and you know, I, I kind of like his style. Like, I'm into a nice, quiet morning as well, which you know, yeah. you can't have anymore once you have a kid. But, yeah, um, to me, there's nothing wrong if you're if you have no kids, if you're married or in a relationship and you live with someone, waking up and not saying much to each other for the first hour or so is fine. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the dream, right? And I'm not groggy or grumpy or anything, but there's something about putting on some music and just having a very slow start to the day that is really appealing to me is toast the loudest food it was when when she that scene was pretty funny too there was a lot of humor in this movie and i love like it's not just the buttering of the toast like there's the scene later on where they're out on the the veranda Uh having breakfast and she's like chewing she's like biting Uh into the toast (laughs) in such a great way and and the uh the rack in on on woods on woodcock's face this yeah. is right after they got married. I think this is their honeymoon. Right. And he like looks out in the middle distance like, my God, what have I done? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stuck with this for breakfast forever. Yeah. It, it, I mean, the sound design is, is very kind of funny in those scenes yeah. because the one where they're inside with uh, his sister, which we'll get to her in a second. Yeah. Oh, God, what a what an acting role. Um, it is so sound designy to maximize the sound of 
the knife being put back on the plate, the buttering of the toast, the chewing, the pouring of the tea, which she does, you know, with a little flair that he liked at first. There's when she a, was serving uh, him, but not there's now. a '90s SNL sketch that Will Ferrell is in that is like that's that sole conceit is an angry father at his family, and uh-huh. the sound is turned up so hot <laughs> on on the dinner plates and the sound of silverware on yeah. those plates as a passive <laughs> aggressive sound. And I know PTA is a big SNL fan. I wonder if that inspired oh, the intensity of these scenes because. <laughs> It's it's so fun and funny to me. Well, and though it it's, you know, it's kind of funny and all, but it really serves a a purpose in this film because not only is she disrupting his breakfast, but then there's the when she learns how to quietly butter her toast. Like that all comes back around and you know, she's she's now being a good little girl yeah. around this guy who can't have her making any noise, which right. is really obnoxious. Yeah. It's in, Do you ever feel like she's broken? Because I don't. I feel like this film very specifically chooses to onboard her power early so that we aren't feeling sorry for Alma's character. Like, we do initially, like, too soon. Like, you're like, oh, man, like, don't tell her to wipe off her lipstick like that. Yeah. Like that's shitty. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah. but almost immediately, like way before halfway through the film, she calls him out on his bullshit. Like the only thing I only think you're acting strong line is like her her like throwing down the gauntlet. Like, yeah. like fuck you, I know who you really are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important, like where in time in the film that that happens. So you're not feeling sorry for Alma or thinking that she's a victim of of Woodcock's deal and like one of the things my wife asked was like where are alma's parents and and to me i was like almost parents would be fucking thrilled in in 1950s yeah what what country is this in is this in uh is this in england yeah Yeah, like in 1950s england post-war england for for a waitress to hook up with with rich renowned fashion yeah yeah no, I totally agree. There is that tension, though. I think, like, you want to make sure she's okay, but she yeah. she really is. She's she is. a strong character. And, and she displays that in a few ways. You know, she has that one line that you were talking about with him. She, and it's a little bit later, but she stands up to Cyril when she wants to give him the surprise party. Yeah. And Cyril is more frightening than anyone in this movie. She's so Maybe great. more frightening than anyone in any movie ever. <laughs> She's the great incredible. Leslie Manville. Oh man, she's incredible. But yeah, so intimidating. And that God, that one where she just fucking eviscerates her brother with that yeah. one that one scene. Man, it, it shows who really has the power. I love it so much. I it's it's. I great. love that scene, and I love her in it. It's great how she never raises her voice, like ever. Yeah. Her power comes from her choice of words and like the economy Uh of those words. (laughs) It's great. It's great. But so she stands up to Cyril. She, I mean, all throughout the movie, she's taking control. She goes to the dance by herself on New Year's Eve. She, um, she, she goes with him. She makes the choice to sort of be his hero and getting that dress off of 
off the lady. Uh, Another... like she's constantly making empowering decisions until straight through to the end when yeah. she's, you know, ultimately in power all along. I love that scene where they take the lady's dress off together because that, yeah. I feel like that's the first time you get the sense that they're a team. Yes. Especially in the wedding, even before that even happens, like Alma is almost more angry about the situation than than Woodcock. They're like oh, yeah. at that wedding table together watching this dress get fucked up and she's yeah. like almost shaking with anger about it. It's one of the aspects of the film and her character that that makes you believe she's going to be okay and she has agency and she's like she's in it for herself. Like I stopped worrying about her at that moment in a in a good way. Yeah, and she this movie I could see the same story being so different in different filmmakers' hands. Yeah. And she really like has so much respect for him. It's never like, oh, you're just an abusive monster and I'm I'm under your thumb. Mm-hmm. Like she takes control, like I said, and she she at the very beginning, those bookended sort of confessional scenes where you later learn that she's speaking to the young doctor. Yeah. But she calls him the most amazing man. And this is all in the future, you know? I think you need that too to begin the film to be grounded in the idea that she's going to be okay. She's always going to be okay. Yeah. I think that's really important. I think without those bookends, it feels a little more sketchy in a way you don't want. Yeah. This film, like, uh, like tonally, it's weird what does the work, right? Like the dialogue is so efficient and cutting that that it's doing a lot of the work, but also the sound design of this film is something mm-hmm. that I love. And the house is a character. Yeah. Those footsteps on the wood floor yeah. really emphasize the emotional states of the characters inside that house. And I love how turned up they are. I love yeah. how you can hear people stomping around. Oh, yeah. And, and that first beautiful shot up the stairwell into the light. That's one of my, I mean, it's a, it's a movie shot we've seen a bunch of times, but this yeah. is one of the best uses of it yeah. is looking up through not a spiral staircase, but just, you know, multiple mm-hmm. floors of stairs kind of winding around one another. Yeah. And he, there's, I don't know, man, he makes just the most beautiful movies. There's such a sumptuous quality to his period work. Yeah. They're authentic and gorgeous. And like, it, there's never a frame that doesn't look like, well, that's exactly how it probably looked back then he i read that he very and by he i mean paul thomas anderson really specifically did not want super clean film like yeah he didn't want this to look digital at all like he yeah. really wanted this to look uh like promised it a little bit like a little mm-hmm. foggy a little dusty mm-hmm. a little imperfect in a way that really adds character to the locations here like for as wealthy as woodcock has to be for as large as he lives in his home like i never really got the sense that he had a nice home it was just big and it and it served him as a place to do his work right yeah i mean and i think like our idea of nice these days is so different like Mm -hmm. and you don't even have to be into modern homes but i think 
everything has to be so pristine and mm-hmm. the white, you know, quartzite countertops. And it, it, that's just sort of the look these days. It's very crisp mm-hmm. and clean, whether it's a craftsman or a modern. And back then, mm-hmm. these were ancient houses that were lived in with old furniture. And it was post-war yeah. England that was, and England was just a fucking mess after the war. They don't really talk much about it, but it's sort of there. Do you think that Reynolds was a veteran? No. Wouldn't? Why not? I don't know, man. It just, it doesn't. I agree with you too, but I can't. feel like it. Yeah. Wouldn't he have been? Or because he was part of the uh, aristocracy, you think that that wasn't, that wasn't what he would have. No, I'm saying like because he was of of a certain social status, like oh right, sure, he wouldn't have been. I don't know, or, or he was too old, maybe. Yeah, I mean, if he's playing his age, he's what like mid fifties. I guess so. And that would have been, but this is in the fifties, so it could have potentially been ten years earlier. But maybe in his forties during the war. And how old is she? I mean, things were pretty desperate for a time in Europe. And yeah. in England, I wonder, like, I wonder what happened to men of his age at that time. Rally around the old calls there, boy. <laughs> yeah. What, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love all those driving shots, too. Uh, when you attach a camera to a car, like either the hood of the car or the trunk of the car, it's just a cool shot. I love it. It looks, it always feels dangerous. It's very uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Right, like yeah, that, yeah. Th- like in the way that that film depicted fast motorcycle driving in a way that that felt like Chekhov's motorcycle. Like I, it made yeah. me feel nervous for him, but yeah. but it seemed like so much fun. You get in a low slung sports car and yeah. and drive like that. Like I was envious of all of those scenes. That had to be great fun. And if you're if you're Daniel Day Lewis, like you're actually driving the car. Totally. Yeah, what's funny is too later on when she and this is as on the nose as Paul Thomas Anderson gets metaphorically, but um when she's sort of taking control, she literally gets in the driver's seat. Yeah. <laughs> and and drives him that one night. And uh, and it didn't occur to me the first time I saw it, but I was kind of like that's kind of funny like he was like, "All right, she's in the driver's seat of this relationship now. Let's let's literally put her in the driver's seat." That kind of I feel like that was the moment she tested the boundaries of what she would be permitted to do as a as a caretaker figure for him, right? Like that's yeah. the first time she she slides over and and she's like, I've got it. And it's what and when he allows it, that feels like a really big moment. It's not the same yeah. as being weakened by illness and being cared for by her later, but I think it's related. I think so too. And she she I think I think the power switch comes early, like you said, because she realizes that he needs her. Yeah. Probably more than she needs him in a way. Yeah. Because she could go off and pretty young woman and and uh and marry the doctor or whoever she wants, you know, and he's he's much more limited. Like that... I mean, you get the feeling there have been a bunch of women before her because of the way mm-hmm. they introduced the the one lady there at first. Yeah, and then Cyril runs her like, out falling out of fashion a bit and he's older and that scene on new year's was so carefully done because i think 
that's the scene that supports your argument. Because if we because we we see her as youthful mm. and energetic and capable of of meeting new people and socializing, she's not desperate for him. And we don't see her making out with someone. Right. Or like that wasn't a scene of her stepping out on him. Yeah, which is very but it, key. But it was a message sent that she mm-hmm. could. And God, it how, how great did that scene look? So great. Holy so shit. Great. What a fun party that looks like. Like so often you see a party scene in a film and you're like, that's a film party scene. That's, yes. Is that, that an elephant? That, that doesn't look like <laughs> that would be that much fun. But this party looks like so much fun. Yeah. It was amazing. I mean, he dropped some serious cash on that, yeah. you know, five minute scene. Anytime you drop balloons in a scene, you better get it. You can't go back to one after the balloons drop. Very hard to reset that. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, a daily podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we bring you conversations with the culture makers who inspire us. Like our recent episode with Hollywood royalty Regina and Raina King. We talked about the creative power of women's relationships. I feel like, thank God for women. Like, especially when it comes to Black women, the way we lean on our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our friends. We're just each other's pulse. I mean... It's molecular, you know? 
Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I have here in my notes too, Adam, I think you'll appreciate this, is going back to the, the beginning with their first date. Uh, is there ever more of a time to get up and run out of a restaurant than when your date tells you he has a lock of his mother's hair sewn into his coat jacket? <laughs> yeah. That should have been it for her. She should have been like, all right, I'm out. Thank you. Maybe that played differently in the 50s. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I did love I think that trivia, be... <laughs> though, right? Like the idea of uh, of the greats sewing something into the lining. I think that's Oh, is that cool. a thing? Yeah, that's what he mentions. Like, oh, uh, oh, like, okay. Did he actually and then say that's that? uh, like the little note that got sewn into the. Uh, she wasn't a queen. She was. Uh, yeah, some sort of princess or something. Yeah, like like that note that. We... God, I can't remember now. I wish I remembered. Ugh, yeah. But yeah, sure. And she takes it out. Power. Yeah. move. Yeah, yeah, big power move. She's always usurping his power. Uh. Yeah, I mean, the, this movie, if if you don't even watch closely, then you might think this is a movie about a young woman who's being controlled by this older man, and it's really not what's going on at all. Right. It's it's that soft power, which is often the biggest power behind the scenes. Well, and the power of the muse, um, it's a very valuable, uh, like you know you're an, an asset if you are the muse of someone who needs it. Never cursed, never is, cursed is right. what's sewn into the stitching, and that was a callback to the conversation they had earlier. Where yeah, yeah, you know, there's so much superstition around wedding dresses in this time. Like you don't want to touch one if you're uh-huh. unmarried, and on and on. Yeah, that yeah. was that was pretty fun trivia too that I wasn't aware of. I thought it was interesting that these siblings, like uh, I keep wanting to call them Plainview, um, Woodcock has. His ritual when he meets her, which was to take Plain away Plainview Woodcock is is my porn name, <laughs> is to take away her her writing pad, kind of quiz her in a way on whether or not she remembers, but also have this keepsake to take home. So that yeah. was his power move. And Cyril's, you remember the first thing she does? She fucking smells her. That's right. Like yeah. an animal. Yeah. And calls out everything she'd eaten and everything she's wearing, what kind of soap she used. I mean, talk about a power move, man. There is a real element to like her being cattle. Yeah. In that in that scene. Like all measured up and uh That's the only time I really felt bad for her because the dynamic shifted so quickly when Cyril came in there. She gets smelled down. And when he's measuring her and barking out her measurements so coldly, like she's a mannequin, that's the that's the only time where I see her really like, I mean, not suffering, suffering, but you know what I mean. There's a neutrality to Vicky Creeps' performance there, though, that I think kind of saves it from that creep factor. And I don't know if this is just me projecting or not, but I mean, so much of that scene is thrilling for her. She's a... It's it's a little bit pretty woman, right? Like she's she was a waitress days ago. Yeah. And now she's getting measured for a dress that in a thousand years she'd never be able to afford by the best dressmaker in her country. Like like there's 
there's elements of that too. And it's a great, like, what a first impression between her and Cyril. Yeah, I mean, that whole scene was meant to put her, to let her know her place in that mm-hmm. situation. And Nothing dehumanizes like measurements though, right? Well, and remember what he says too. He says, you have no breasts. Mm-hmm. And, but then he says, you're perfect. It's my job to give you some if I choose to. If I choose to. Yeah, that those is three the, words there at the end, man. Is or the line. Words, I guess, yeah, that's the line. Yeah. It's so great. Uh, and it's right there sort of at the end of that first act that things start to turn a little bit. I mean, she's basically told that her taste is incorrect. She's not allowed to have an opinion. And you really think this movie is going in, in that direction hard. And she she's just, she she's not having it though. I like how you never see her dressed poorly. Like she's dressed for work when you first meet her, mm-hmm. but you never see her like wearing rags. This isn't like the literal rags to riches yeah. story. Yeah, and totally. I like that about this film. Like her transformation goes from, you see her at work and she's dressed nice and neat mm-hmm. for her shift. And then you see her later and she's dressed up for her date and yeah. she looks great for the date. And then from then on, you never see her not looking amazing in something yeah. that that was made for her. I love the casting of her because I, you know, she was a, basically an unknown in the United States, uh, very pretty, and just has that great European look to her face. And uh, it would have just ruined it, I think, if he would have tried to cast some American actor. She's really beautiful, but she's also really uh, like she's got that Sarah Paulson vibe where she could be anyone in any movie yeah like i i feel like you could she could be anything in a in a way that's got to be exciting for any actor like i i hope she's getting called for all of it and just turning a bunch of shit down that she doesn't want to do because i i feel like she would fit right in to whatever you're making i feel like i saw her not in something but that she was going to be in something soon just like a couple of days ago yeah or maybe she was in a trailer or something. Yeah. Uh, but she didn't like just blow up all. I mean, this is what, like four years ago? Yeah. I mean, there was no, there was no rocket career trajectory after this. But I don't feel like that's how it works with ensemble Paul Thomas Anderson films. Yeah. Really. Like he's not a star maker like that. Yeah. I think you're right because these movies, I mean, the, 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 they're not. There's an audience for them, but the audience for Phantom Thread wasn't huge. Like, I don't know what this did at the box office, but serious film lovers is who goes and sees these. I wonder, to use a film analogy, if, like, you know how some athletes are painted as, like, a system quarterback? Like, yeah. that quarterback played great for that team because the system made them great. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you get painted with that brush if you're in a Paul Thomas Anderson film or oh, similar yeah. where, where you get that great director brush on you and, right. and the reputation is, well, yeah, she's great, but she was in a Paul Thomas Anderson film and that's why. And I wonder if, if that like hurts you as an actor in a weird way. I don't know. I mean, I bet she's been busy in Europe. Yeah. I mean, that's her jam. She's just, you know, not everyone wants to like, I feel like the, the woman in, uh, Inglorious Bastards mm-hmm. kind of did a couple of bigger mainstream movies here. And then 
I think was content to stay in Europe for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. You want to stay in Europe. You don't want to come out here. So let's talk about the power shift a little bit. I think, I mean, this, like I said, you know, a few times, this movie is all about power and then it going from one to the other. And I think when it really happens for the first time, like they spend a little bit of that beginning sort of dehumanizing her somewhat is when he is broken from work for the first time and she cares for him and realizes that she loves that feeling of this powerful man being brought to his knees yeah. and her being the key to nursing this great person back to doing their great work. Uh, big foreshadowing of what's to come, obviously, but I think that's really when that, that turn happens. Yeah. Yeah, and her performance is so subtle that when she recognizes that, it's fun. Like, uh, like it's not too much later that she's back out in the forest getting mushrooms, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, which you don't know exactly what's going on at first. Yeah. And then they make it pretty obvious. Yeah. You know, it's not like they make that, they hold that till the very end to reveal. Like, it shows her reading about the poison stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's the reveal sick. of the film is that he's into it yeah, when that, that moment comes. But yeah. but but the road there is so delicious. We'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. I want to talk about it now, but we'll get to that. Um, I love the Barbara Rose stuff, you know, the lady they take the dress off of. Yeah. Because she functions as this, uh, again, it's, it's all about, this movie's all about power. Like, he detests that she has the power over his life somewhere mm -hmm. that he needs she, her. He, he has to do this work for her yeah. because she pays him a lot of money to do it. It's interesting. Like you hear about her before she shows up and you're like, Oh, what is she going to be like? She's going to be awful. She wasn't that bad. And that's, that's <laughs> what my point was going to be is like, she's a, a rich debutante. Like, like she's sort, just sort of unhappy. I think. She's just an unhappy rich drunk. Yeah. Who's not mean to him or like you're I'm sure you've been in professional relationships where that feel parasitic where you're like, "Oh, I got to do this thing and this person is being shitty to me." Right. But that isn't what's going on here. Like he just seeks a purity in how his work is treated and because she isn't capable of that, that's the hang up. Right. And and he hates, like, I think Cyril even says that she pays for this house. Yeah. Which is what makes the risk of taking the dress off of her feel so filled with tension. Like, is he sacrificing something greater than we think right. in that moment? I mean, clearly not because he gets to keep his house, but... Something tells me that Barbara Rose is one who would sober up and 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 still want to, him to do work for her. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's embarrassed and she knows she's a loathsome drunk. I love that scene, uh, like when they first access her her penthouse or whatever at the wedding. Mm -hmm. Barbara Rose's handler is mm -hmm. on the scene and is just like <laughs> incapable of oh, man. she's so outclassed. <laughs> yeah. She's in bed. She, she brought a knife to a gunfight there for yeah. sure. You want the dress? She's in bed. Yeah. And then and then uh uh, Vicky is the one who, like, he doesn't even shove her through the door. Like, like yeah. you said earlier, she's 
she's all about going to get that thing. Yeah. Yeah, which I love. It was a big moment when she did that. It changed the tone of her whole character. Well, and it's right after that that she she um, stands up to Cyril about the birthday party. Yeah. And boy, that scene was... Uh, to see how discombobulated he was for his routine to be disrupted and that house to be empty. And like, how many times did he ask where Cyril was? Right. In those, that first like minute. Yeah. When did she it, leave? Where's Cyril? Where's Cyril? When's she coming back? It was like, it became oh, kind of pathological. Yeah. And, and creepy again. Yeah. He's like a man child almost. Well, I mean, it is that enabler thing, right? He he needs like I feel like he is self-aware enough to know that he his behavior is boorish. Sure. But what he has is Cyril in his back pocket. Cyril right. making it okay. Mhm. And if no one was around to make it okay, maybe he'd be capable of changing the way he treats people, but as long as you don't have that check, Cyril's right. just going to keep kicking the Joannas of the world out of his house for his for all time. And Vicky becomes that check. Yeah. And it's at that dinner scene where she finally, they finally have it out and she yeah. calls him out. And that scene is actually has some pretty funny stuff too. When he's, uh, where's your gun? Show <laughs> me your gun. Have you come to kill me? Where's your gun? <laughs> like, that's so funny. And I know he was trying to get a laugh out of that. How surprised were you in the scene where Cyril says that she likes Alma? Pretty surprised, actually. Me too. That was a big, as big of a reveal as anything, almost. I love that moment because I like, I like feeling like Alma won her over, mm-hmm. and it was especially good feeling that it that I didn't know that it had happened until she said it. I it agree. was a nice reveal. Is it that thing though where someone stands up to the asshole? And then the asshole then respects them. Is that what happened there? But I think it's interesting that Alma doesn't know that. Like Cyril well, never sure. tells Alma that. She, yeah. She, I think she treats her a little better going forward. But I, if you ask Alma from then on if if she's found herself on Cyril's good side, I think Alma would say no. <laughs> she she hates me as as much as ever. Right. But does Cyril get that respect because Alma did stand up to her? Absolutely. But she would never give her that. I mean, what's interesting is like in that early scene where you where you recognize Cyril's power when she kicks out Joanna, mm-hmm. I feel like Joanna is resistant to Cyril. Like in a way that why didn't Joanna make it work in that same way? I don't know. Well, Joanna didn't do it in a clever way. She was yeah. more sort of stomping her feet about her situation. Yeah. And Alma and uh, Vicky was much more clever. That had to be it, right? Yeah, you're just calling her by your actor name. I know, that's weird. You're very familiar with Vicky Creeps. (laughs) You're kind of being a Vicky Creep, Chuck. I'm being a Vicky Creep. No, Alma uh, is much more clever. And and I think, I, I bet you there's been a lot of women to come through in that role mm-hmm. as as living mannequin um, slash toast butterer. <laughs> and I think that Alma is the most capable, the smartest, 
the most clever, the strongest. And I think game represent or game respect game. And Cyril knows that. I like that. I never got the feeling that this was coming from a place where Alma's got nothing to lose. Like, I think we've seen this movie before where the Alma of the film rags to riches herself into a position where like, like what does she care if she fucks mm. this up? She's going to go back to her waitress job and things are going to be fine. There is, that is not suggested at all. Yeah. She, she acts in her interest in a way that is completely uncoupled from any sort of consequence. And I like not knowing that I like not cutting to her in her room in the home after she gets into an, an altercation with Cyril and her like heavily breathing, like, holy right. shit, like, should I have done that? Yeah. You never get a sense of Alma's inner life. Yeah. In a way that I think you would get in a lot of other films. And I think this, this you totally m- would makes Alma a stronger character, like making her a little less known works in her favor and makes her stronger. Yeah. And I think that's also a reason why she is a person unto herself. There is no best friend. There is no sister. There are no parents like there, there, because normally in a movie like this, she would call her, her sister or her friend and talk about what's going on in this house of horrors or whatever. And she's totally just, I mean, this movie is, has a very isolating feeling kind of like there will be blood in some ways. You know what? Come to think of it, like no one has an inner life in this movie. No one gets that moment to step back and think and and regret or fear or hope or or anything. Everything is played out in front of someone else, isn't it? I'm trying to think if there's a single scene with someone yeah. by themselves. No, I don't think there is. And I think that's part of what makes so many of the interactions in this film feel fraught or dangerous or or filled with tension yeah and then you slather the johnny greenwood on that and like forget (laughs) it bread and butter on toast (laughs) oh yeah very loud toast that's johnny greenwood yeah so you got johnny greenwood and you also have some classical pieces here and there uh really works for the movie it, it wasn't Johnny Greenwood from There Will Be Blood. Like, I love his no. range. Yeah. Because that, that would have made it feel like a horror movie, I think. I love... Like, Johnny Greenwood in There Will Be Blood is, like, 9 out of 10 Yeah. strength. And I feel like he dialed it down to, like, a 4 here. Totally. And it's perfect. Mm-hmm. In the, in the way that, like, the edit that you detect is a bad edit, I mm-hmm. feel like music works that way, too, right? Like this is, this is adding to the feeling instead of making itself the star of the moment. Right. Yeah. Which is it's what really you nice. get in a merchant ivory. Like this is probably PTA stab at a merchant ivory type of thing. Yeah. In his own sort of fucked up way. Yeah. Yeah. And especially cause the film is so interested in the diegetic sounds of the life. Like, of the life in that house, the stomping and the clinking and the toast and, and all of that. Yeah. I'm trying to find the breakfast scene. Uh, see what exactly what Cyril says, because like you said though, it's really the way she says it. Mm-hmm. 
more so than the actual lines. Yeah. Uh, because in my head, you know, I'm thinking she says, like, I will fucking end you. She doesn't say that. Right. Uh, it's the don't pick a fight. Right. All right, here we go. Here we go. Would you like me to ask Alma to leave? No. Why? Well, if you're going to make her a ghost, go ahead and do it, but please don't let her sit around waiting for you. I'm very fond of her. Well, you're very fond of her, are you? Well, in that case... No, don't turn it on me. I don't want your cloud on my oh, head. Shut up, Only You can shut right up. Don't pick a fight with me. You certainly won't come out alive. I'll go right through you, and it'll be you who ends up on the floor. Understood? Oh, man. I've never wow. been more scared of a character in a Paul Thomas Anderson film than after that line. Or, or any movie. Like, yeah. that's one of the scariest scenes in any movie, I think. That's so great, man. I wonder if I can get sued for that. It's so interesting how Leslie Manville's physicality isn't there in this movie. Like, she never gets in anyone's face. She never points a finger. No. She never raises her voice. Yeah. And that scene is so emblematic of this. It's yeah. like, I feel like she's holding her teacup or something when she says it. Yeah, like she's it's, drinking and slurping. and It's so casually delivered in a mm. way that like the most powerful people are able to do. Like it's, it would be nothing for her to destroy him. Yeah. And that's 30 seconds. Uh, and you, two humongous things happen there, which is you really finally see who truly is the, the beast in this movie. Mm-hmm. and who has control and you also know for sure that she is sticking up for alma in a big way yeah like you can't treat her like uh who's who's the first one joanna joanna yeah like i'm not gonna let you do that i wonder how close they came to like obviously this is a daniel day lewis joint but like you could you could fill a lot of this movie with Leslie, with Leslie Manville yeah. up to up to the level of of Daniel Day Lewis minutes, and I don't and I think the movie becomes better and better when you do. Give me a prequel. That's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> Just I could about her. I could use the the eight episode. HBO Max miniseries that's just Cyril, yeah, and Cyril's <laughs> life. I think she was nominated. Did she win an Oscar? Oh boy, I I do not know that. I'm pretty sure she, she was nominated. She's deserving Lisa. of of all the things for this. Yeah, I mean, there I have so much respect for these roles that are just played between the the forehead and the chin. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The control of it, and imagine being in a film with with DDL and like toe to toe. Yeah. Toe to fucking toe. Like, she is yeah. not diminished next to him at all. She's incredible. Yeah. I bet when she read uh, this script and saw that specific scene, and she's like, I'm going to go up against Daniel Day-Lewis, basically, and tell him I own his ass. <laughs> like, like, what an opportunity for an actor. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I love how... You know, like you do this with wardrobe, right? Like a character is put together 
and finished and in control when you look at them. Like mm-hmm. if their costuming is perfect and on point, and this is one of those films that makes that clear. Like when Reynolds is dressed, he's he's a beautiful man and he looks put together, but like yeah. the way you suggest that he's unwell is with his hair. Yeah. And when and like there's that fallen samurai quality to him. Like when when his hair kind of falls out a little bit. Yeah. When he's sick, that's how you can tell when he's fucked up. Yeah. I love how they do that. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm trying to remember the first time I saw this, like I was really thrown. Like I didn't have any spoilers going into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me and too. I thought, you know, I thought she was maybe trying to kill him slowly mm-hmm. and get away with it. I think yeah. maybe that's the implication if you if you haven't seen the film. Because a thousand movies have told that exact story. Yeah. And oh boy, like what a stroke of genius idea to like turn that on its head and yank the rug out from under the viewer that not only have this be a control thing for her, but like you said, the big, the big ending, man. I mean, what did you think the first time you saw that and you realized that he was into it? What a scene. I mean, I think I probably laughed, but I laughed not because it was funny. I just laughed at the audacity yeah, and the and the Sanderson. realization <laughs> of that being of that being the reveal. I loved it. I loved it the first time I saw it and I loved it the in the subsequent viewings of the movie. It's it's yeah. so satisfying to suspect that it's coming from a dark place but instead realize that um that it's sympathetic like it's both characters taking something from this arrangement and and getting what they need it's uh it's really brilliant it's brilliant in a way that doesn't make you feel dirty either right. you know like this again i feel like so much of what so many scenes that we talk about when we talk about this film are like wow they really avoided the big mistake here mm-hmm. the the cliche is what they avoided and this is another example of that like yeah it could have this this film car could have rolled into the ditch in this moment especially and it didn't instead yeah. it's like the strength of the actors in this scene make it make sense and make it understandable yeah. i think actually thinking back i i'm pretty sure i was a little confused at the end mhm and i i'm i'm brave enough to admit that i wasn't mm-hmm. right away like Oh my God, he was into it. I think it was more like Emily and I were both like, what, what just happened? Was he mm-hmm. into that? Yeah. And it, this is the kind of movie that, you know, I dive right into the internet afterward. Uh-huh. And it's quickly confirmed. I'm like, yeah, that, that's exactly what was going on. Because it's such an unconventional thing to do. Uh, I, I don't feel too bad for being a little confused. I really like reading scripts. I haven't read this script, but I've got to believe that the parenthetical for this performance for Daniel Day-Lewis is like Reynolds Woodcock eats the mushrooms at Alma. Right. <laughs> like like that's that's, that's the, the vibe direction. like like the the omelets in front of him and yeah, he yeah, yeah. and the tension of just sort of chopping it up. Yeah, looking right right at her face. Looking right at her. Uh-huh. And taking it down <laughs> like he eats the mushrooms at Alma. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that look on his face um mm-hmm. It's weird. He has this, it, it's almost like, 
And I think upon this viewing, and this is where I sort of gathered this, was that he has this primal desire almost to lose control Mm -hmm. and to be submissive and to be taken care of. But I don't even think he understands that. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I wonder if it's like... She brought it out in him, maybe. Yeah. I mean, so much of... So many disordered thoughts or 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 interests in 1950 in the 1950s i feel like were mm-hmm. you know whispered right about i don't believe that reynolds like there's probably not a name for what this is in right, a, but, it, but it like borders it, like, on sadomasochism in a way right but but i don't in a if this were happening in if this were happening today, I think it would very easily have that label. But back then, I think Reynolds has got to just be titillated by yeah. what he's feeling <laughs> without without a name for it. Yeah, I mean, part of me thinks he had this primal desire that she tapped into that he didn't know was there. Like mm-hmm. it happened, and he was like, "Oh, I like the way that felt," because I'm a person that has to control my environment down to the tenor of the breakfast sounds and to, to lose, to give that control up appealed to him in a way that I don't think he realized it would, or maybe she just didn't bore him. You know what? This is like the 10th time we're going to ring this bell here, but this film doesn't turn into misery here in a way it so easily could have like, and I think it's fixed with dialogue. Like Alma and this isn't secret dialogue either. This isn't just Alma talking to her doctor friend about him. Right. Like, they allude to this, Alma and Reynolds, between each other. Like, they talk around what this relationship dynamic is Yeah. when he's sick in a way that helps. It helps unmisery the moment mm-hmm. in a way that makes you believe where you have to believe it at the end of the film that she's not trying to kill him. And that they're good. Yeah. They're good with it. Like, and not just good with it, but they're like good with each other, good with each other. And I feel like he's, he has finally released this hold of control that has allowed him to be free in a way. And, and she has gained this power that she probably didn't know she ever had. And, the way she talks about him in those bookended scenes with the doctor, it's all right there, man. She's she's smiley. I've got a great relationship with my wife, and I'm fortunate to say that. I love her a lot. Yeah. But if you told me that like uh like four days of diarrhea would make our relationship like twenty five percent better, yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. What about you? Wouldn't wouldn't you take it? I would eat that omelet so fast. Hell yeah! I Cause, yeah. Cause I mean, let's say you're at. I've already nine, got four 90%. days of diarrhea per month. Yeah, like I, exactly. <laughs> it's I don't unfair. Even like mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a fair trade, especially for the road that uh, Reynolds has been on. Yeah, it seems like uh, like he's found the one. It's a happy ending, right? 
I wonder where this. I wonder what the end game is. So I wonder where these people are in five years. You can't you, keep poisoning yourself like that and not have some sort of long term effect, right? I wouldn't think so. And I think More eventually than just you, diarrhea probably. You chase that mushroom dragon long enough, you're just going <laughs> to yeah. keep eating more and more of these things. Yeah, I think that's more. probably a bad deal. Yeah, does it end up in an accidental killing? Yeah, I mean, in the 50s, absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, Reynolds is dead in two years, <laughs> Like, and I'm betting the under. This isn't one of those movies, though, where I kind of delight in thinking, like, where do these characters go from here? Like, these these movies are best sort of left as they are. You know what's interesting about the the triangle of Cyril and Reynolds and Alma is that Cyril never knows what Alma's doing to Reynolds. And yeah. if she did, it would never work. It would yeah, never be have. worth it. And so like to to think about a timeline where Reynolds is dead and it's the Alma and Cyril show, that's big oh, fun. Yeah. Yeah. The Phantom sequel. Yeah, why is this called The Phantom Thread? Is that the name of the thing that you stitch into someone's lining? I don't know. I don't know uh, why. I don't I don't think they said I wasn't that. able to find that. Yeah, I don't know either. By the way, thank you for sending me that uh, Instagram. Uh I, I meant to shout that out and I was waiting for you the um What's it called? The color palette cinema? Is that color is that palette it? cinema? Yeah, I sent that to you because I I just recently found out that you yourself had an Instagram. I've yeah. known you for years. <laughs> well, I found it's pretty out, new. I found out a month ago that you had I, it. I've only had it for about six months, so yeah. I haven't been on for long. It's great. Uh, yeah, I enjoy it. But yeah, color palette cinema, you guys on Instagram has film stills and then a color chart. Yeah, swatches basically. Yeah, swatches of the color palette of that scene. And, uh, you know, a lot of times that scene is indicative of that movie as a whole. Yeah. Very cool stuff. And you sent me the the master, I think, right? Or was it There Will Be Blood? I think I sent you the master. It's very much like a. I feel like you could pitch the idea for this Instagram by starting with Wes Anderson, like like a very, a very in your face color palette type of filmmaker. Yeah. But you realize when you when you follow an account like this just how how many filmmakers yeah. work work in these tones. Yeah, tones that cool. that become their own. And I feel like like speaking of Wes Anderson like Phantom Thread feels like a Wes Anderson film shot at 45 degree angles instead of head on. <laughs> like every I feel like every scene is yeah. is fixed. In a way that that unlike Wes Anderson is a little less fixed. You know, it doesn't make its like composition doesn't make itself the star of the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely PTA's least showy yeah. film, uh, camera wise. I think there are a few I, here and there, but it's it's pretty locked down. I read that uh, he wanted Bob Ellswick for it, and he wasn't available, and so it was cinematography by committee. Like that's. The legend oh, of this film is that PTA shot it himself, but he wow. has he's denied that and said that it was by committee. But whatever the truth is, it's it's a really beautiful film. It is, as they all are. Yeah. Uh it makes me sad that this project is almost over. 
Uh, uh, we we got the one more coming up, but we'll just have to think of what up what else we want to do. We got to start a new series. Yeah, I mean, we can do whatever you want. We can do a filmmaker series or a genre thing, or or just or, sort of random or just stuff. Uh, just films that we like. Yeah, we can do. Maybe we'll do want. another round. Like maybe we'll just do films okay. that uh, that we like. Films that we like. I'm into that. Let's do it. I just want right. to keep doing this with you, with you. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. And I know we're going to see each other in September, which I'm super excited about. Yes, me uh, too. Our, our super secret uh, hang. In-person hangs. With you and uh, your lovely wife and Ben Harrison and his wife. Yeah. And Getting the gang back together. And his wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward All to that. It's, it's fun to make plans. And... Uh, Amen. And and look forward to things again. All right, dude. Well, this is great. This is going to come out in a couple of weeks. Great. Uh, where can people follow you? I always like to plug your shit. Uh, well, I am known for two great podcasts at the moment. Uh, <laughs> the Greatest Generation is my Star Trek podcast, and The Greatest Discovery is my new Star Trek podcast. That's right. And I like I like guesting on shows. So uh, so I I'm a I'm a guest on on my friends' shows like yours, and uh, I can be found. I'm out there. I'm on Twitter <laughs> at Cut for Time. You can follow me there. Love that handle. I think, I think that's. Uh, I think those are all the bases to cover. All right, fantastic, sir. So uh, thank you, Adam. And, Thanks, Jeff. Uh, for now, this concludes our PTA series until the new one comes out. Hope everyone has enjoyed it and checks out these movies. Uh, I'm sorry we didn't get to Punch Drunk Love. I don't do repeats. You can take it up with Tony Hale if you ever see him out. Oh yeah. Punch that nice guy right in the face. Tony Hale. Uh, That'll be your first fist fight. Yeah. With, with the nicest guy in Hollywood. <laughs> I do not want to be that kind of famous. <laughs> All right. Thanks, bud. Thank you. Movie Crash is produced and written by Charles Bryant and Noel Brown. Edited and engineered by Seth Nicholas Johnson and scored by Noel Brown here in our home studio at Ponce Market, Atlanta, Georgia for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.